Can everybody hear me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, welcome to today's uh, Space, the Final Frontier panel. Um, I am your moderator, TJ Schmitz. Um, I'm an MBA student here um, from the aerospace industry in the United States. Um, I worked at the United Launch Alliance in Boeing, uh, which is part of the reason they asked me to do this. So I'm very excited to be here with you. We have uh, three panelists today, starting from down there. Um, Sahad Hamoud, um, uh, Rafael Horda Siquier, and Lisa Lang. So I will read a quick biography that you all sent in. All right. Um, let this paper to work. Uh, Saad is the International Partnerships and Investment Manager at the Satellite Applications Catapult, um, based just outside of Oxford. Um, he has been uh, an international business development and project finance professional for eight years um, in client-facing roles, such as advisory and project management worldwide. Um, he has been heavily involved in the space sector uh, for many years, since his start of his career as an intern at a specialist project finance firm in London, where he was uh, appointed the VP of Business Development. Um, as an international partnerships and investment manager at the Satellite Applications Catapult, which is an independent and not-for-profit organization established by the UK government to help develop the UK space sector, um, Saad leads the commercial international activities by developing export opportunities and attracting uh, foreign investment. Raphael is the founder and CEO of Open Cosmos, which is a, uh, as your website so aptly describes, a one-stop shop for space missions using nanosatellites with all the technology, paperwork, and costs taken care of. Um, he studied aerospace engineering at the Polytech University of Catalonia in Barcelona, and after completing an MBA, uh, worked for a large corporation such as uh, the Airbus uh, Defense and Space, as well as some small innovative startups such as Zero to Infinity. Uh, he then developed Open Cosmos while at the Entrepreneur First Incubator Program in July 2015 and was recognized as Entrepreneur of the Year 2018 by the Euroconsult. From a highly motivated student stratospheric balloon team to leading international new space scale-ups with almost 60 employees in less than four years, with their first satellite in orbit and many more in the pipeline, Raphael continues to pursue Open Cosmos's goal of making space accessible to help solve the world's biggest challenges. It's a great line. Um, all right, and Lisa Lang is the founder and CEO of the Powerhouse Group. Um, she is a European entrepreneur, technologist, and international speaker. Her brands, Electro Couture, The Powerhouse, and O Fundamental, O Fundamento, sorry, <laughs> there's a lot of caps in that. Um, our leading agencies for fashion tech, wearable technologies, smart textile manufacturings, and making things glow. Recognized as one of the top 50 women in tech in the EU, top 100 most influential people in wearable technology worldwide, one of 25 leaders in fashion and technology worldwide, and one of the 50 most important women for innovations and startups in the EU. It's quite impressive. <laughs> Lisa's brand, uh, The Powerhouse is the European think tank for fashion tech, wearable technology, and everything smart textiles. All right. 
So today's uh, panel is titled Space the Final Frontier, and we're going to um, develop the conversation using the theme of uh, how can space industry entrepreneurs uh, help answer the following questions. Um, where are we going in space? How are we getting there? And uh, what challenges will we face along the way? So to open up the panel, um, I'm going to ask each panelist uh, to give us a one, two-minute max uh, answer to introduce your work to everybody. Um, just tell us what drove you uh, to your specific area of entrepreneurship and um, how your entrepreneurship will benefit the space industry at large. Well, you know, thank you very much for um, having me and, you know, I'm um, very excited to see all of the bright open faces and eyes and ears. So also we are expecting questions after this, just to warn you. Um, so uh, I got into this it because like I dared to ask the question why um, in a industry which is called a fashion industry which is not used to that question. Um, I worked in uh, software engineering and tech startups for almost 10 years and saw how all of the big industries got disrupted and realized early enough that this is exactly going to happen to the fashion industry and uh, it's good to be there early and you know just you know just be really annoying also uh, that's kind of like my superpower um, and now they actually realize that they need people who ask the question why so they're now inviting me in which is kind of nice you just have to stay alive long enough you know to see it. <laughs> brilliant so uh, since we had such a great introduction uh, I think that I'm going to take some of the time to to start with one question. How many of you actually would at some point in your career be an entrepreneur? Wow, nearly everyone. It's wonderful to see that. When I did my MBA, actually, you would have not seen that reaction. Most of the people were looking at getting into corporate and, and other things, and it's, it's wonderful to see it. Because like you, I felt that the path of building a, a solving problem machine, actually, is what I wanted to, to pursue with, with, with my time and with my career. Um, how is that looking today? Well, five years after having founded uh, Open Cosmos, uh, we are totally geared towards enabling people like you use space technology as a tool. As simple as that. So you can develop a business model, business solutions, and, and uh, satisfy needs, whether they are in telecommunications or in understanding how the world works using data that comes from space. Um, I started, as I mentioned, four years ago. We delivered our first satellite to orbit about three and a half years ago. And uh, now we are a team of 60 people, not too far from here, as a matter of fact, 30 kilometers down south uh, in, in a place called Howard Campus. And from there, actually, we are really, really trying to change the way that uh, the space industry works and the way that the space technology is used. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Saad. I'm Jordanian. I've been living here for the past seven years. Uh, I moved in 2012 after finishing my degree in finance from Washington, D.C. I worked in project finance in London for five years. Uh, I worked uh, on a very special space program by coincidence, and I was exposed to the space sector. Uh, it's really amazed me. Uh, and I decided I need to be part of it. I need to be part of this movement right now. I resigned, did my MBA, uh, just uh, last year graduated, so uh, it's very special to be here uh, sitting with you in this room. Uh, I work at the Catapult, which is an organization developed 
by the UK government to support and catalyze the UK space sector. We're based in Howard campus, which is the UK space cluster, and we're a bunch of scientists, uh, engineers, and entrepreneurs, and our job is to make a dent in the universe and to uh, export the UK space sector. Very nice. All right, so we heard a little bit um, in Ms. Un, uh, Ms. Ansari's speech about where we're going, um, which is very enlightening, a lot of exciting things. Um, there are also a lot of billionaires that agree with her, um, Jeff Bezos among them, uh, wanting to move things like heavy industry and manufacturing and then also uh, some other service and retail um, industries into orbit. Um, how realistic do you think that is to see progress in that in the, in the next decade, uh, two decades? And then um, what does your work uh, help feed? That, uh, how does your work help feed that, uh, that vision? Yeah, sure, I'll take it. So uh, in terms of uh, where the space industry is going right now, you can see sort of two paths, I believe. One is the one that is looking towards the outside, and there are all of these wonderful initiatives actually to develop lunar bases and economies in Mars and uh, asteroid mining and some other of, of these activities that are looking outside. And then there is a huge amount of, of work being done on looking at what can be done from outside, looking down on Earth. Uh, and this is done by satellites. And here's where my company actually is contributing. Uh, we believe actually that by taking pictures of Earth of, in different wave bands and with different technologies, you can gather enough data in order to have a better understanding of what's happening in terms of resources, in terms of climate, in terms of environment, in terms of transportation. And you can also do another thing easier from up there than from down here, which is connecting everything. And I'm sure that you have heard about many of the constellations that are about to be deployed, and we are happy actually to be developing some of the first satellites for some of the constellations that are going to provide IoT services down on Earth and 5G connectivity globally. So I think that those two paths are the two ways that the, industry, the space industry is developing, and it's a really, really exciting timing because it's starting to be very, very useful and very commercially oriented, whereas in the past it has been mostly supported from governments and, and big organizations. So you all as entrepreneurs will have opportunities in, in this industry. Um, uh, I would actually go back in history and look at the advancement we've contributed. Uh, thousands of years ago, we associated our gods uh, with the stars. So it was more of a fascination, uh, something inspiring to look up at the skies and wonder what's out there. And uh, then began the challenge, getting to the moon, and what happened in the 60s that race, which galvanized all of humanity. And we did that. We conquered the challenge. And now we are using space to solve solutions to problems on Earth, from deforestation, illegal mining, transport, health, uh, remote sensing. So who knows where the future uh, is gonna propel us. But what we have right now is technology and entrepreneurship. And those combined together um, there is no limit to what we can accomplish. Uh, I really like going into the past to predict the future. So, uh, did you know that uh, the spacesuit for Neil Armstrong was actually made by a bra maker? Um, and the reason is because, like, all of those seams in that spacesuit, they had to be very strong 
and very flexible at the same time. And there was just like one person who was able to do this. It's a true story. If you Google also, because tomorrow we have the, the Women's um, uh, World Day, um, there is a wonderful picture of an Afro-American uh, seamstress sitting at a, at a, um, at a um, sewing studio with Neil Armstrong's spacesuit. And usually she does brass. So that is for me in kind of like, you know, the solutions we need is because for me it's like, you know, it doesn't matter where we travel. Uh, it's just like the fact that we are traveling and what we're actually going to wear. Um, there's a lot of to be said about, you know, engines and spaceships and, you know, what we're going to eat. And, yeah, um, my kind of field is like, you know, oops, yeah, <laughs> uh, what are we going to um, wear? Because we're definitely not going to do this naked. Um, and it's definitely going to touch all of us. And also the third definite, we definitely can't do this in a cotton T-shirt. Because cotton t-shirts releasing fibers which are clocking up the air conditioners in the spaceships and uh, houses. So we need to like rethink completely differently. Also the whole world circular economy is actually kind of like a given on Mars uh, because we kind of want to survive. So, um, but of course, you know, we kind of have to do this on Earth, but up there you have to do that. So I really like that connection that we kind of experiment can can uh, um, do this um, here. I'm very excited about the possibilities with people who make stuff. So kind of like we have to go back to like old manufacturing, think about the bra makers, and team up with like biochemists and say like, okay, like what, you know, how would a sewing machine look like on Mars? Right, so like very pragmatic, very focused product development um, you know, again, because we don't want to do this naked. You know, it's 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 a good argument. It's just you know, nobody says no. That's so great. Yeah. Oh, very good. Um, okay, so I'll direct this at Sahad because uh, this is a little bit more of a, a government. Um, but then feel free to also chime in on your experiences with the government. Um, do you think like well, the government's role in the industry has been changing over the years, and now it's almost more of a, a supporting function. Do you see it continuing to go that way, or do you see some of the, the old government forces like NASA who still want to control their own launch systems and destiny? Do you see some friction there, um, and how is it being done in the UK? Sure. Um, so uh, there is no doubt that the government will have a role, uh, maybe that's more of a regulatory uh, approach, but. Um, allowing uh, entrepreneurs and, uh, and funding those new initiatives. Uh, so where I work right now, it's actually a network uh, of 11 organizations, uh, only in the UK, and their job is to support an up-and-coming industry. They're founded, established, and funded by the government. And it's a mixture of three important components, engineers, uh, entrepreneurs, and a team of business people and scientists. That kind of mix will enable the great ideas that you find actually in this university to come to commercial market. Because the end, the end result is for us to create jobs, to create economic uh, uh, enhancement programs, uh, and more uh, employment rates. Okay, so I kind of, of see the role of the government actually from, from a different perspective. Um, of course, it's great work actually to promote and, and support innovation and it's definitely expected for any economy that wants to progress and grow. But I think that in this industry the biggest role that the government can play is as uh, an anchor customer 
I'm sure that all of you studying Bright Minds of an NDA, you are familiar with, with the concept, but it's basically governments can be a massive user of the services that can provide it from space. Uh, think about who should be responsible for monitoring if the uses of resources are being done properly, if the air is too polluted, if the transportation is optimized or not. Uh, I think that the role of the government has to be one of uh, a customer that believes and tries to find in these technologies the solutions that really needs, right? Uh, and you can also think about it from, from a telecommunications perspective. Who, who requires actually secure telecommunications that, that happen sort of seamlessly and, and globally, right? Uh, but it has not to be the only customer, and this is very, very important. It has to be one of the customers, but then the beauty of, of, of making this technology accessible and making it affordable and simple enough, as we are, we are trying to do at OpenCosmos, for, for all of you actually to be able to develop business models based on it, uh, the beauty of this is that you can address any sort of industry, any sort of market that is out there. And I'm pretty sure that each one of you with your backgrounds, you have a key knowledge in one area. Some of you, I don't know, might be working on transportation. Some of you might be working on other things. Just give it a thought if you want to be an entrepreneur on how can you use the new technologies that are made available for you to disrupt those fields. Just in the same way that people did it 20, 30 years ago with computers, that's literally happening right now with satellites and space technology. So just use it as another of the technologies that you have in your portfolio and give it a thought on how, on how you can apply it to, to disrupt your own industry. Um, for us, we are actually working with the government as a partner. It's like three years ago, the European Commission invited me to get involved in roundtables for policy advisory um, strategies. So I'm now sitting on a panel for the creative industry and another panel for artificial intelligence, which is really interesting because like, I'm a software engineer and I have an art degree. <laughs> so, um, and the reason why I'm in the artificial intelligence panel is because I'm a creative, and the reason why I'm on the creative panel is because I'm a technologist. Um, and then I'm just like, you know, connecting the dots in the middle. But so, first job for the government and policies is like not standing in the way of business, <laughs> kind of like. That also means like, you know, of course, you know, we are in the Wild West. There are no rules, you know, and you have to figure it out if you have to duck or if you go. Um, and, you know, for the right mindset, that is a great opportunity, you know, and that kind of like shows you if you, you know, an entrepreneur, when you exactly at a point when you actually get excited, like, yay, I have to do everything on my own. Fantastic. Um, opportunities. On the other side, actually, with the experience with especially the commission is like they are very open and welcoming. So there are more and more roundtables, inviting people, getting involved, and I highly recommend, uh, you know, check out there like a lot of, there's a platform where you can sign up being an expert um, reviewer for um, uh, um, uh, EU calls and funds. Um, uh, the thing is now, especially what we've seen, what happened with, you know, sorry, Brexit, I think it's now that, you know, we all have to get involved. We all have to get feedback. This is what happens when we are not getting involved, when we are not hands-on. Um, then, you know, stuff like Brexit happens. Um, so I'm, I'm really passionate, especially with, like, my fashion design students. And I said, like, you know, you as a designer, you have to see yourself also as, an, like, an activist and a policymaker at the same time. Because, like, one of the challenges we have in Brussels at the moment is actually getting a voice for creative people 
And the first thing, the way how we do that is actually we are, in, we are, we are including them into the artificial intelligence panel because you need to talk with, a, uh, uh, with an artist and a philosopher about artificial intelligence and not only with business and uh, technology people. So for me, government is a partner which actually we have to educate. So we have to tell them because you know if we don't do this, they they have to figure it out somewhere. They have to be standards somewhere. There have to be policies at some stage, and they will do that with or without us. So we kind of like the quality control, and you know especially from a European perspective, that means like we all have to work together, and you know understand that policies and politics means it just takes a very long time. But it's good because we can do it MacGyver style. It's just okay, you know, while we're figuring out what's, you know, on a daily basis, we then just can go to Brussels and say, like, look, you know, from our, you know, experience, this and this is actually the best way. And again, highly recommend, figure, you know, uh, go and check out the platforms because they're actually quite open and welcoming. You know, they need us, not the other way around. So, great. Um, in the theme of working together, there is also in the space industry a large contingent of large companies um, who have traditionally been the powerhouses in the industry. Um, how do you as entrepreneurs view um, some of the large companies? Uh, is it partners, adversaries, and have you tried to work with them um, in any given way? Um, for us, um, actually, again, it's really funny like to actually come to us. So for me, it's really cool because like, I'm not in the business of convincing people. I'm in the business of helping people. In terms of sales, I'm far nicer. You know? so, um, uh, because also efficiency time, it's like I don't have the time to convince people. I don't work against nature. I don't you know, force people to do something. When they're ready, they will come to me. And then we can actually get started to work. So we have a lot of fashion companies who want to get involved because, of course, they see a business opportunity. Because, of course, like you know, whatever kind of like runway we will have on Mars, it kind of should be us. Uh, but the challenge is like they can't because they don't have a digital or technology backbone. Um, sports brands are actually quite interesting. So like if you see like with Virgin Galactic, for instance, they teamed up with Under Armour, um, very interesting. So because sports is actually functional clothing, is a, you know, variable, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, protective gear. Um, so it, that is quite interesting uh, where it goes, but actually the big companies who are involved in smart textiles are actually the Google, the, App, uh, the Apple, and the Microsoft, and they have launched a lot of patents around materials and textiles. So this is quite interesting that like you know the biochemists, the, the, the fashion people, the, the manufacturers, they actually should have done that, but it's actually the digital companies who are now completely like wiping out the playing field. And yeah, so, you know, so the question is like, you know, what kind of Chanel are you wearing? It's like, you know, are you wearing Microsoft or Apple today? <laughs> so, and these are actually the super active people in the background, you know, and they're not tweeting all about it. And also like I'm plastered with NDA. So like, I would really love to tell you a lot of cool stuff, but I can't. Um, but there is a lot of stuff happening. It's going crazy in the background. Um, and there is so much space to actually get involved because it's people have to do it. That's the thing, like do, do, like build something. So the question was the role of the big companies, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they have been dominating the industry for, for years, and this is a fact, right? And um, 
I want to share my perspective on, on, on these uh, a little bit. If, if you think about, and I'm going to put my company as an example, Open Cosmos. Uh, what we are doing today, actually, just a couple of years ago, was only imaginable to be done by one of these big corporates. It was only imaginable to be done, even not even by those corporates, but by space agencies. What we do is we, we design satellites, we manufacture them, we contract launches, we put them in orbit, and we operate the satellites so our <coughs> customers use the data sets and the connectivity services. The whole value chain of the space industry is there, extremely challenging, right? Uh, and and when, when you try, and I, I remember when I was sitting actually in a place like this, and when you try to imagine how you're going to make something like that happen, it, it feels daunting, right? <laughs> it feels overwhelming. And the only thing that you have to do is to, to find your unique selling proposition, to find that thing that is going to enable you to open a path towards that vision. In, in our case, I, I was already working in one of these big corporates, and I realized, wow, these satellites that we are manufacturing are taking 10 years, 15 years to build and launch, and they cost uh, half a billion, right? <laughs> The entire mission cycle. How how is anyone going to build a business model around this unless it's something that affects billions of people, right? Because you need a huge amount of people to be affected by that in order to be able to spend such a big money and raise such a big amount of money. Isn't there a way that we can make actually this technology much smaller, maybe simpler, faster? So a lot more people can start using. And this was about the time when um, actually a fellow countryman of, uh, of, of mine, uh, uh, Jordi Puchwari, who, who I have the privilege to, to know, uh, uh, started something called CubeSets, which was something that he started in a university as a standard uh, for students to learn how to build satellites from scratch. And all of a sudden, we demitified completely the technology. And some of us started to see, hey, we can build small satellites and we don't need to be paying hundreds of millions. Of course, there are trades off with risk and with the performance of the satellite. But if you control the risk of the project carefully, you are actually able to launch a lot more satellites rather than sending one that needs to be developed and tested over 10 years uh, that cost half a billion. You can launch many of them that are much smaller and you can innovate faster and you can iterate your product faster and you can find your market product fit much faster. Right? This is the, the year that we are experiencing right now. This industry is being created like that. And it's wonderful to see how everyone has its space. So closing the loop on the question, actually, big companies are going to be there to provide half a billion, several hundred million satellites for governments and whoever can afford them. Right? I only know governments. <laughs> maybe some telecom, maybe some big telecoms as well. Right? But then there is someone that has to satisfy the democratization of, of, of these capabilities. Right? And, and here we are, it's like they build lorries, they build big, big stuff. We built the small scooters and the bicycles that are going to power actually the, uh, the industry for, for all of you to do your business cases. And to stretch this to a different perspective, now you're all looking for jobs. So you might be considering you want to join a big company or a small company. And you give some really brilliant points right now because the impact that you are able to do in a small company is is amazing. The, the work you're doing is being translated immediately on the ground. And yesterday over dinner we were speaking about your experience in the States working for the big companies and how complicated things can happen. And this really demotivates you, especially right now. You're fired up, you want to go change the world. You want to be in a place that can take you 
and will allow you to express yourself to make your impact. So being a small company will allow you to be more flexible and more agile, and you will matter more than being just a number uh, at a big company. Uh, so I'm going to deviate a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to deviate a little bit, but I think it's okay. Um, uh, but I think it's worth actually making one comment over here because I see that you are all extremely excited about being entrepreneurs, and that's wonderful. Um, but I want to share something as well. Uh, being an entrepreneur is not being Elon Musk. It's not being the Jeff Bezos of the world. It's, uh, right now, we are living in a culture that is popularizing actually being an entrepreneur. And that's awesome because we need the brightest minds actually to be involved as such. But when you step in that journey, please be very aware that it's tough. <laughs> uh, you have to do hard choices. You have to sacrifice things. And you have to be truly committed towards the vision and the purpose that you want to to build. Uh, it, it is actually a really exciting journey. And I'm, I feel really grateful of, of, of the opportunity that, that I've had, actually, to build something like Open Cosmos. But be very mindful when you do that choice and be 200% convinced behind the purpose and the vision that you want and get surrounded by the best people you can so you can make that vision a reality. That's a great side note. Um, so one more forward-looking question. Um, you know, the, the, the advent of reusable launch technology has definitely been a bit of a tipping point for the industry, allowing a lot more people to access space cheaply, um, allowing smaller companies to really start up. Um, what do you see in the next 5, 10, 20 years to be like the next tipping point that maybe entrepreneurs now should be looking towards to start building some of their ideas and skills? Uh, definitely in space manufacturing, uh, uh, in orbit servicing, um, is the next frontier. Actually, just yesterday on BBC4, they announced um, the lettuce experiment on the space station, and they compared the lettuce that was grown in space to the lettuce that's grown on Earth, and they discovered that the nutrients, the lettuce made in space, was much more than what's happening on Earth. So the advancements and the applications are really massive. Coming from a finance perspective, what always worries me um, is that we are going to witness a market consolidation. There's a lot of uh, uh, small sat companies, uh, small launch companies, and what we saw recently, what happened in Vector, uh, uh, is concerning uh, what happened at Theranos a few years ago. Uh, uh, and valuations sometimes might impact progress, because as an investor, you would always think twice, especially when it comes to space. You really can't see it. It's not like you are in a, a, the FNB business or fintech. What's happening, it's magic, it's in space. So what really matters is, uh, uh, is your team and having uh, uh, a competent workforce. Uh, but in terms of advancement, uh, every year we're seeing something uh, amazing. I mean, we're launching, what, a thousand satellites in the next couple of years in the small sat market. Um, so I wonder, it's gonna be very exciting. Okay. So, um, advancement and, and, and what I see opportunities, right, for the entrepreneurs in the room. Um, seek for advancement where, wherever there is a big challenge, wherever there is the biggest bottleneck. That's where you want to focus, right? Uh, find a problem that is challenging enough and, and that it can have a, a biggest impact enough for it to be meaningful. Whatever that means to you, by the way. Uh, um, in the space industry, 
Lawrence was a bottleneck. Uh, it's still actually kind of a bottleneck. It's, it's getting sorted thanks to the reusability, thanks to micro launchers, and, and thanks to other approaches that, that, that are allowing a diverse range of launchers to be available. I think that that bottleneck is, is disappearing, and the ones that are starting now, actually, to be very honest, I think that they are too late. <laughs> These people that have been solving this problem for long in terms of the, on, the, on, on the launch side. Uh, but there are other bottlenecks. Uh, the next bottleneck that we have been experiencing in the space industry and that we are trying to solve is actually how do you use satellites as a, as a simple tool right, to solve problems. That's the bottleneck that we are trying to remove. Where do I see the next bottleneck? I see the next bottleneck in, 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 in the use of the amazing amount of data that we can generate from those satellites and the amazing amount of things that we can connect to those satellites and making sense of out of all of that, right? So applying AI to those images and uh, finding out um, solutions to, to the problems that Earth needs uh, to, to get solved, right? This might be big climate problems or it might be tinier niche problems where there is a business opportunity and just by developing the, 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 the AI that is, I don't know, I'm gonna say something silly like counting, uh, Counting melons, okay? Imagine that you had an AI that using imaging from satellite was able to count all the melons in the world and estimate the, the melon production globally. Maybe you get a lot of money understanding where melons are being bought and sold. Say melon, say oil, say any commodity, right? So these are the kind of things that I think it's the next bottleneck and the people, the smart people that find solutions based on, on, on those data sets are, are going to power a new wave if you allow me just uh, uh, an analogy, kind of it's repeating what happened with the, state, uh, with, with the computer industry, right? Some people remove the bottleneck of um, making computational power accessible with the small computers, much more affordable than the big ones. But then the wave of people and the internet and the applications emerge, right? I think that we are now starting the age of applications in the space industry. So you have a lot of opportunities there. Lisa, what is uh, a bottleneck that you would be working on or that makes you excited to work on in the near future? I think it depends, like, where do you want to be in that space in which business model? Like, back in the days of, like, the gold rush, the people who actually, like, sold the donkeys and the shuffles uh, actually made more money than the people who found the gold. Um, and that's exactly the time where we are now also is, you know... It, there's quite frankly there's a lot of bullshit bingo around um, there are a lot of opportunists there but there also is a lot of serious business but the serious business also can be simply by just like okay so what are the donkeys and the shuffles now for you know because of course there's a big business in mining so yeah, kind of close right so they will need equipment they will need services um, when we you know have a lot of satellites in the atmosphere uh, waste removal Actually, there's a lot of money in waste management in, you know, on Earth as much as like, you know, somebody has to take it. Like, where from where is the toilet paper coming from? You know, seriously, like really pragmatic, simple. And the amazing thing is like there are a lot of really tiny little gaps because the Elon Musks and the Richard Bransons, they have the big picture. Do you know what happens with a big picture? Details don't matter. But you kind of need to have them the toilet paper on Mars. And, uh, oops, you didn't think about it. The engine works, but, you know? So, like, really realistically, the little kind of things. And it's a huge opportunity to totally rule your niche. And niches are actually awesome. 
because you can scale quietly, you know, it's like pretty cool and sexy. You can actually, you know, develop a lot of products and services around it at the same time. Um, you know, and the rest is just pretty much storytelling, you know, because I'm pretty sure if you're in the business of space toilet paper, hashtag, here comes, there is a pretty cool story you can tell on Twitter, on Instagram, you know, so it's not, it's not only the engines. So uh, I recommend to go like really in little tiny little things it's like, hmm, I didn't think about that, right? So, um, but there is a rule in business always People pay for convenience. And it can be a service or it can just be simple, like a button which you need to flush the toilet. Sorry, I'm just sticking with that. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like, you know, it's just where people can't say no to because, you know, it's the body needs to do this. So, you know, also, you know, you never have to do sales. It's just, you know, the product is the convincing on its answers. Yeah. Perfect. All right, we've got time for about one more uh, round. I just want to talk about some uh, some, some challenges uh, that you might face and, and how uh, you as entrepreneurs might deal with them. Um, there are, well, I was going to ask this in two questions, but we'll do it in one. Um, we're definitely going into an age of more uh, uh, government protectionism in an industry that, that used to be very government versus government oriented, but needs to become more uh, cooperative. Um, how, how are you guys dealing with that? And then also, um, climate change has been a big issue, especially here at Saeed, that's a big focal point. Um, how are you dealing with the pressures of people saying maybe we shouldn't be investing here, um, maybe we shouldn't be using pollutants such as launches versus how much benefit you're bringing to society um, against climate change? Okay, well, I'm happy to address both. Uh, in terms of, uh, I'm going to start by the second, the cl climate change. Uh, what do you need to do in order to solve a problem? Know how big it is, measure it, control it, see how it progresses, see if the action that you are taking are making fully a difference. How are you going to do that globally without satellites? It's impossible. I was with, with um, the president of, of UNOSA, who's the body of the United Nations, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and how many of you are familiar with the uh, Global Sustainable Development Goals? Okay, everyone, that's great. Uh, she was telling me that out of the actions that they have to take, more than 30% would not be able to be tackled unless there is a use of space technology behind it. Can you imagine that? I mean, when I, when I heard that, I, f I felt happy and overwhelmed at the same time. It's a huge responsibility for those of us that are trying actually to boost the development of this industry to make sure that that happens fast enough so we can tackle these kind of problems. So. In terms of the pollution generated by, by rockets, I mean, Anush briefly talked about it earlier, but most of the rockets that are launching stuff right now are liquid uh, engines. And they, most of the cases, combine uh, liquid oxygen with uh, hydrogen. Guess what you get when you combine both molecules? You get water. It is true that there are some uh, chemicals inside to improve the, the propellant efficiency and so on, but many of the launches actually are just generating water. <coughs> The ones that have solid propellants are the ones that are burning rubber, and uh, uh, the use of those are, it's actually being reduced because uh, many of the propellants that are using on, on the liquid side of engines are much more reusable than have other. I could talk for hours about this, by the way. <laughs> this is what I studied back in my university years, and I, I, I did a lot of studying on, on rocketry. It's a field that I love, 
But uh, when you put that together with the, the amount of, of carbon pollution that probably you, each one of you generating through your life, are probably it's more or less the same that a rocket that is going to be able to launch enough satellites to monitor how uh, methane is uh, affecting globally uh, the, the, the global change in, in temperatures. You had another question. I think that I've only answered one. Oh, it's okay. So here in the UK, uh, the, the government's facing two, uh, two small challenges. Number one, space law. Right now, we don't have a professional space law. So there are lawyers who are moving out of the professional services and looking to uh, write the, the new constitution on, on how we govern space, who owns space, what happens if crimes are committed in space. Uh, so that's another challenge. And concerning Brexit now, if you read the news, the FT, I think last week, front page, by the way, reporting on the Galileo project, which is a, a massive uh, a beast, uh, $11 billion project between Europeans uh, and the UK. And the UK had contributed around $2 billion to this project. But as a result of Brexit now, the EU are taking decisions to not allow the UK access some of its data. This is quite serious. Um, and if you monitor the news now regarding space, you will notice almost every other day there's something about space. Because what he's talking about, it's, it's all around us. Look at your phone right now. You see the WhatsApp, that message goes up in space and back down again in like this. So it's remarkable. It's around us. Look at what happened to GPS, how it transformed our lives. Without GPS, we don't have Deliveroo, we have Google Maps. Um, so there are challenges. And uh, as the panel just said, without challenges, uh, we'll be coming with new ideas to solve them. All right, you want to close this up? Okay. Um, biggest challenge for me, education. Um, we are in an old education system having to train the new generation with old tools for the future. And the system is broken. Um, very concrete example, um, uh, in fashion, the fashion universities only teach the past. Uh, but they have to learn the future. But the problem is we have to educate the educators first before they actually can train. Um, the issue for fashion is that uh, what they need to learn and understand are the basics of blockchain, cryptocurrency, e-commerce, you know, how to avoid uh, um, anti-counterfeiting, material science, uh, and, you know, but the fashion industry is in an absolute lockdown at the moment because they forgot to innovate in the last 30 years and they have to clean up shop now. Um, and that's like the whole sustainability thing, which, by the way, for me is not innovation. It's simply just a must and a given because good business is sustainability. If you go into manufacturing, they've been sustainable for a very long time because, like, of course we can't waste a single thing, you know. It's business, dude, seriously, you know. Now it's just sexy and it has a word. Um, so, uh, and with education, also, I mean, like, interdisciplinary approach. Again, think about the bra maker and the spacesuit. You know, we need, uh, you know, in, in my world, we need like an electronic engineer, a biochemist, a fashion designer, and an astronaut go to a bar, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and it's not a beginning of a bad joke, this is actually my daily work. Um, so, and having a space where those people can come together and have the support to actually very interdisciplinary 
um, find solutions because the problems we have are very diverse and only interdisciplinary approach can solve that going across. And our education system, doesn't matter where you look, doesn't allow that. Um, as a little side story, I come from software engineering. When I went to university, I was one of the first generations who studied something which is called web design that didn't exist 15 years ago. And it was a classical trained graphic designer, you know, being joined together with a software engineer. And then uh, what actually happened is like a lot of independent universities and trainings appeared, also business opportunity. Um, I've been told I should start a fashion tech academy, but I don't have the time. Um, so, uh, and then it just like, and then education adapted to it. But actually it was business who figured out an education program because the traditional education uh, uh, institutions were too slow. Now, 15 years later, they're even more slower and we have to become even more faster. So the thing is like, if you wanna have a real impact, you have to educate people because you all will need people to hire. And you know, you can't get faster. Like my problem, for instance, like I have to educate my people in fashion technology first before they can actually work in my company. Because again, I learned that totally by like Googling and being very annoying and asking a lot of questions and having a good uh, interdisciplinary education. And then I just decided to make statements. Um, and we have to scale that. Pretty sure my challenge is uh, I need talent to scale up my company. That's why I'm here, actually. Uh, so if you are looking to join the ride, it's the right time. One last point. You need to be bold. You need to put yourself out there and take the risk. Fail. There are people sitting in this room, I know them, who are sacrificing everything to accomplish this dream of doing something that's actually very risky. You're putting yourself in the space sector. Fool, what, what is this? I've been here for a year. You told me to come here just yesterday. I'm probably the least competent part of this panel, but you need to always be learning. Put yourself out there. So he needs talent, he needs bright minds, and if the Oxford MP in Parliament mentioned Open Cosmos, that they're doing a great job, definitely going somewhere important. <laughs> All right, um, so we'll open it up to everybody for questions. Take these two and I will... Can you guys share one and I'll run that up? Hi there. Uh, Hi there, my name's Greg Blatchford, I'm a photojournalist, I'm just a local uh, here supported by the European Social Fund. Um, straight question for, probably for Lisa, um, how do you make clothes out of regolith? And for oh. people who don't know, regolith is the soil substrate that Mars is consists of. How do you make clothes? If you know 3D print uh, fabric in space, you can't take them with, you can't take, if you're going to have, if Elon Musk wants to have a... Uh, a community of people living on Mars, you can't take, you know, 100,000 people's worth of clothes. You've got to print them there. So 3D printing, how are you going to print clothes out of regolith? Um, 3D printing is not a good solution for textiles production because, you know, everybody who usually is very excited about 3D printing is usually the people who never work with 3D printers because if you actually have, you know they're a pain in the butt. Um, and, but they're actually really good in, like, with heavy, big stuff. 
but like you know for and also like the, it's in, in terms of like doing the very fast very quick you know 10,000 people clothing um, kind of like a challenge and the interesting thing in manufacturing is like so that the solution is always you know you mix different technologies together so um, as so it would be like a component and looking for like something to compound um, so, uh, uh, for instance, you know, um, one of the things is like, what can we bring from the earth there and then like quadruple that resources on the ground. So it would be actually interesting, the clothes you bring when you ship over to actually do like kind of like a recycle and then you actually get like five pieces out of, you know, a sleeve or something like that. Um, there are actually like really old manufacturing techniques for this. Um, um, and... Yeah, so like if you would ask a biochemist, they probably have a different answer to like a textile engineer. Um, but in overall, it's just like, yeah, you have to do compounds. Everything, everything what we do always has to be compounds. Um, but I'm actually quite hopeful with like, especially because of the basalt component uh, on Mars. Um, I'm actually quite hopeful because Mars is very windy and we actually need like really stiff textiles um, to, 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 to protect us. So um, also the materials for the houses. And now I'm going to stop myself because I'm, otherwise I'm going to start a business with you. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's the mix. If you want to have more concrete, I can get you in touch with our biochemist. They're probably going to talk. Talk about that. Ah, so, okay, yeah. Hello, thank you very much for a very interesting panel. Uh, my name is Natalia, I'm a researcher here inside Business School, and I do AI for mostly counting melons, also for, uh, for applications of satellite imagery for uh, climate change. And speaking uh, about bottlenecks, uh, I know that both um, companies here um, produce satellite imagery, and this is the most scored resource that we AI researchers need. Um, so what are you doing to facilitate the research? Are you sharing the data you obtain? Uh, do you help uh, gathering databases? Because like these resources are so scarce, they're so disaggregated that it's really impossible to work with them. So what are you doing to help with that? Awesome. So um, uh, I have good news. <laughs> so uh, right now we are building a, a satellite, a small satellite that will be about 50 kilograms um, uh, and we have support from the UK and the European Space Agency towards this particular satellite as a small business obviously these are still expensive assets and uh, we, we need to have them paid somehow. We, we cannot contribute uh, to science having to pay everything ourselves. But in this particular project, actually, we have um, very good um, partnerships with the European Space Agency and the UK Space Agency. And it's going to produce extremely high-resolution imaging that, as you know, it's really, really expensive. Typically, that kind of pictures actually cost you just one picture, 10,000 to 5,000, depending on uh, how... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it depends a lot on, on, on what the size or the scale of the image. But imagine that you have to pay like a couple of thousand pounds per image and you have to train an AI with millions of it. It's uh, not, not, not a good way actually to, to do it. So uh, the output of this particular satellite we are going to make available to a lot of researchers and we want to partner not only with people within the, the technology community and, or the universities but also with the startups and people developing new applications. 
so they can train. We will have abundant imaging thanks to the satellite, so so they can train. Unfortunately, we still need a couple of more months to finalize the project and to deliver it to launch it. But if you come afterwards, I'm, I'm going to take a note of, of your contact details and we'll make sure that, that you are in that list. Wonderful. Okay, we are running a little short on time, so could we keep the questions and answers both brief? Um, could you raise your hand, please? So we're going to have two questions. Could you both ask your questions back to back, and then we'll see if we can answer them. Yeah, hi, faster. Simon Lau. Um, you've started to talk about your own journey through as, a, as an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm keen to kind of understand a little bit about how you scaled yourself and learned as you've gone through, you know, being an individual, then managing a team of 10, scaling to 50, 100. Great question, and I'm learning, by the way. I mean, we've been doubling size every six months, and I can tell you it's a roller coaster. It's really intense, really hard. Uh, there are a couple of things that I have already learned, and I will be happy, actually, to maybe while we are in the coffee break to, to share some more of, of them. But I would mention one thing above all, and uh, actually Anush mentioned it earlier in the keynote. The only thing that there is certainty about is constant change. And uh, that's the reality. Uh, no matter if, 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 whatever you are doing, even if you are in the biggest organization, the biggest boat, there is change. If you allow me a, a short analogy, like building a company, it's like a st starting to swim in a puddle. <laughs> the puddle is very small. There are not very uh, big, big waves. You, you know, you get familiar with the water. Then you get into a lake. You have a small boat. Uh, you start to have some waves, but you control that turbulence and uh, you make sure that your boat doesn't have holes. And if you have holes, you put your extremities on it so you can still maintain it floating. And at some point, actually, a wave will come. And when that wave comes, you can do two things if you don't have a very beautiful, well-founded and, and massive boat with a power engine. It's either you will go down or you surf, right? And you take the wave take you wherever uh, you have to lead, and, and you enjoy that journey of, of change, right? And uh, as an entrepreneur, I think that embracing that at some point during your journey, you'll have to serve and enjoy it. It's, it's one of the key things that I think helps scaling up. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Mark Miles, um, uh, really interested in what you were saying, Lisa, around the, um, the education piece. Um, and I'll try and be quick with this question. Uh, it's a bit of a comment in the question. One of the challenges around being an entrepreneur is that innovation is self-funded, um, especially when you work in you know, technologies like AI, uh, AR, VR. Um, and so part of the challenge that we have is we're a small team, uh, and when you're in the thick of it, you, you kind of work and keep the lights on, um, you know, pay the salaries and, and everything else goes with it. Part of the challenge or frustration I have is that uh, being a small business, I feel as if we're not really in a position to change policy, but we see lots of government support um, coming down the line through Innovate UK and their partners around the technology we work in. But what's quite frustrating is sometimes we feel as if we have to change our business to fit the funding rather than we're breaking ground here, but there doesn't seem to be a grant that kind of covers that. Um, so my question is, in terms of uh, educating, how do you tackle uh, the, the need or the, the, both the fires, which is you need to change policy or influence government to say this is where the, the biggest impact's going to be in terms of your funding, and at the same time educate the students uh, that you need to, because these technologies are new, right? 
And we do lots of talks, you know, in schools, colleges, universities around VR and AR. One of our clients is Airbus. Uh, we work a lot in aerospace and defence. Um, but it is a, it's a hard challenge because you kind of like grow in the grassroots uh, at school age, but at the same time, you kind of need the support, you know, to kind of grow your business in this, you know, kind of cutting edge sector. Um, okay, well, um, uh, totally hear you because, like, yes, it's like, you know, keep your lights on and pay for toilet paper. Here we go again. Um, so, uh, on the one side, it's like, you know, it's a, a change of perspective and actually in a situation, like I've just chosen, it's like the fact that we are a small team is actually a huge advantage and the fact that we are on the front and we like no reality is actually a huge asset and this is why I'm sitting, you know, when I'm sitting in front of a big company and I was like, well, you know, we are faster, we are better, I know, you know, I can iterate and uh, um, so that's why we can work together. Uh, in terms of policies, policies making and funding is a little bit like no, the system, fuck the system, sorry. Um, uh, so it's kind of like reverse engineering. It's like, you know, you, you know what's the most important thing? You want to get that funding, you want to get into that policy program. You know, the thing is, the reason why I actually got into policy making is because I looked at the EU funding from a strategic but also from a money perspective because I never fundraised. You know, I'm very happy in my little dictatorship. Um, and uh, then I just realized that the categories are just not right. If you are an expert in this field and you look at EU funding and look like the description is not right, it just doesn't make sense. They're asking for something which is just, you know, it's kind of like what's happening with sustainability with, you know, greenwashing. So, and I got so frustrated that I said like, that just doesn't make sense. And that's why I'm now involved that the, so like the categories get actually in, you know, the governments actually really need people like you. You know, just simply just really by like just going there and getting involved and say like, these categories don't make sense, I can help you. At the same time, in order to keep the lights alive, just really like, I know it's a very emotional thing because you want to do it right and you know the right way. And this is like, you know, I, you know, but in the end of the day, the most important thing is like, you want to have that funding. So just like, go with the flow, play the game, doesn't matter. The most important thing is like, you're in, and once you're in, then you can change, step by step. Um, I, I've taken the mic because <laughs> I think I can help. And um, uh, he's, I, I've been there, by the way. We bootstrapped completely our first satellite. How crazy is that? <laughs> so we, we've been through that journey. And, um, if you allow me to go back to an analogy that I was doing before, don't try to create the wave that you're going to serve. Uh, you are small. I am small. We are all small. If you try to move the waters in the sea, just imagine yourself surfing, okay? I don't know if any of you surf. I don't. But uh, just imagine yourself surfing and trying to create this, the, the wave that you're going to surf. It's, it's, too hard, it's impossible. Maybe someone is lucky, does like this, and the butterfly effect generates a wave, but it's unlikely. Right? You are better off actually looking at the horizon, feeling the mood of the environment, and when the wave comes, you're ready to surf and to, to enjoy surfing it. And stay there with the lights on until that wave comes. Okay, we have time for one more question because we started late. Um, well, first of all, thanks very much for your time. I'm Ali Valiev, Raphael, like yourself, I'm also ex-Airbus. 
Um, my question was around trying to understand Open Cosmos. If you could talk a bit about the profile of your customers today and who you your future customers to be. Wonderful. That's a really MBA question. And uh, I can be talking about the company for hours, so you please stop me. <laughs> uh, uh, we have customers that are from governments, actually. And we have actually one project with uh, the catapult applications, satellite applications that it's, it's going to be delivering a satellite that is going to be used under a government contact. Uh, but, but what I'm most excited is what I was talking to you before. Many of our customers right now are new startups that have raised reasonable amounts of money to be able to afford satellites and that are developing uh, applications based on them on IoT services, connectivity. We have two satellites under manufacturing right now that are going to provide the first 5G, uh, um, 5G um, telecommunication capabilities via nanosatellite. Um, we also have customers that are looking at using imaging to better monitor the use of natural resources. And these are companies. So if you're sitting there, just start thinking about this as an opportunity for you to develop new business models. Uh, but anyway, from governments to collaborations with agencies and uh, disruptive new startups that are emerging. All right, wonderful. Uh, we are a few minutes over time, so <laughs> we'll call it here. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the panel and uh, enjoy the rest of the day.